So guys, uh, thank you so much for joining the panel. Uh, I'm Prayank Khandelwal, founding partner of Photon Legal. Uh, I'm an engineer, patent agent, and a lawyer. Uh, I help businesses uh, uh, coming from SME, MSMEs, uh, small startups, and even large corporates to protect their ideas, unique inventions, software, products, everything, by filing a lot of patent applications, trademarks, design copyrights across the globe. So basically, if you are into a domain and where innovation is the key to survive and innovation is what is separating you out from the rest of the world, then I can help you protect your secret juice so that nobody else copies that. Uh, so uh, today, uh, all of us are here because of the occasion of World Intellectual Property Day. It's a UN celebrated day. Uh, every year on 26th of April, uh, we have this uh, World IP Day. And this year's theme is uh, on the role of uh, SME in the economy and how they can use intellectual property rights to build stronger and more competitive and resilient businesses. So this year, uh, I mean, across the globe, a lot of people are having a lot of educational sessions as a part of uh, WIPO's uh, World Intellectual Property Day, where people are encouraging uh, the small scale businesses and entrepreneurs to protect their rights, basically and uh, get enough advantage out of it uh, to scale the business solution and, and uh, make a huge contribution to the economy. In India, we have so many, uh, I mean, we have thousands of SMEs. Uh, we have so many funds as well available uh, uh, to them from the government, but very few of them know about it and very few of the SMEs take enough advantage out of the, all the schemes which are available. Uh, so with that, uh, today we have asked all of you uh, to share your knowledge. So basically uh, current, uh, in current times, everybody uh, across the globe is suffering from the global pandemic, which we have seen. Uh, there are so many sufferings. Each day we, we are hearing news of, uh, there are shortage of oxygen, shortage of beds and everything. And so basically there are so much negative thoughts going on or negative energy going on across, across the world and across the country. And we thought of uh, why don't we have people who are experts from the field uh, to talk about uh, different facets of uh, a startup life or an SME life because all of them are also struggling at the moment. And if uh, those, uh, those folks uh, who are running the businesses can take your advice, your learnings and implement it in their lives, implement in their business to help them uh, get prosper, uh, to help them reach from point A to point B, that would be something interesting and it could be one of our contribution in, in today's uh, situation. So with that thought, we thought of, uh, with that thought, we started to reach out to all of you and you have been very, uh, very kind enough to accept the invitation and uh, of your busy schedule today to join us uh, on the panel. Thank you so much, uh, Shesh, Pawan and Ananta for accepting the invitation and being, being kind enough to uh, be here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I'll quickly start introducing uh, all of you as well. So uh, we have uh, uh, Ananta here, who believes in uh, taking care, who, who believes in doing all of your maths. Uh, his philosophy is uh, you take care of your business and I'll take care of your maths. Uh, he's the number guy here, who is right now co-founder and business head of Bloom Tree Business Advisors. Uh, he's passionate uh, in his, I mean, he's passionate in following his dream of making a difference with numbers. And that's why we have uh, uh, Ananta here who's helping a lot of SMEs and startups uh, in access, doing indirect direct access, uh, helping them or accounting and also providing legal as well as managemental support, uh, whatever it requires. And one, one more important thing uh, I would like to share about uh, Ananta is uh, on 23rd, we had a speaker's catch up call and I just asked Ananta, so what's your typical day looks like? And he said, whenever I get a query, I end up responding and resolving that query the same day. And Ananta was up until 12.30 in the night solving a startup, startup query. So that's what the passion looks like. I mean, uh, we are very fortunate, Ananta, to have you. Uh, your passion uh, for the numbers and your love for the startups will truly help uh, all of uh, us in the panel as well as the attendees to get a lot of insights from you. Thank you so much uh, for joining on the panel. Thanks, thanks. Uh, second, we have uh, Dr. Pawan Soni, uh, 
who is an innovation evangelist by profession and a teacher by passion uh, he is founder of inflection point consulting he is offering programs on design thinking strategic acumen consulting skills uh, he is also author of the book design your thinking which is published in 2020 by uh, one of the prestigious publishing house penguin random house in india apart from uh, being just a evangelist uh, evangelist he is also been an adjunct faculty at isb hyderabad i am bangalore uh, apart from that pawan has also been a columnist at mint your story and c42 entrepreneur uh, and people matters so pawan is the only person here i believe who has been invited to five times to the tedx uh, talks and uh, uh, of course as a speaker and he's also been featured at influencers of year 2020 by your story thank you so much pawan for accepting the invitation i'm sure all of us can learn a lot from you thank you so much next we have shesh paplikar uh, again a different uh, profile altogether i mean shesh has been to us but again uh, he's came back from the states back in 2014 thinking that in india the startup wave which was riding high in california will again will will come to india very soon and he basically gauged that came back to bangalore started the very first co-working space in bangalore and i believe the space was uh, in residency road uh, they started from kormangla first you know okay wow uh, so yeah in kormangla in residency there are, uh, residency road there are so many other uh, co-working facilities which uh, shesh owns right now so he's a co-founder and ceo of behive investec and behive co-working space uh one of the important thing about uh, shesh uh, to mention out is he always looks beyond the obvious and create opportunities rather than waiting for one so as i said he was back in the states in 2014 and he came back to india to start this wave or start this culture of having co-working spaces having multiple companies under one roof and helping them get funding they get their mentorships and uh, all the all the other help or basically the hand holding which was required by the startup ecosystem back then so thank you so much shesh for coming to india for starting this unique concept of co-working space in the it hub of the country uh, we'll uh, we'll have a wonderful learning uh, from you i'm i'm so confident about it thank you so much thank you all right so uh, so guys uh, with that uh, i'll just like to also mention uh, to our attendees that you guys can always use the chat uh, chat box uh, uh, in the zoom of course everybody knows that it's been uh, more than a year we are uh, used to zoom now so if you have any questions you want to ask certain doubts or you want to get certain information from the speakers you can use the chat bar mention uh, the, your question and our panelist would love to answer all of the questions at the end okay all right so with that uh, i believe we can uh, and start the session uh, my first question would be to shesh uh, i want to ask you shesh the simple question I, and i'm sure most of the folks who know you would also have asked you while you were very settled in states why did you come to india what was your reason for coming to india okay let me try to you know it i can give a very big answer over a drink but i'll try to <laughs> <laughs> yeah keep it short uh, for me right. i mean, uh, i think uh, uh, you know i think becoming an entrepreneur i started my career as an entrepreneur like back in 2003 in my final semester you know i was doing engineering in nit suratkal Uh, then i realized that i need experience uh, you know you know it couldn't succeed and then when i analyzed i realized that i need lot more experience and connects and my own money etc so I went on a path where i pursued experience and also capital so i so i kind of very uh, consciously like moved to us and also that i can earn money um, eventually so that it helps me start my own thing but as you would see right by the time you are like you know uh, now you cross 30 etc then i'm like hey should i really go back should i really get into entrepreneurship all that would come but somewhere i think i was able to push through that i knew always that i want to become an entrepreneur and uh, having grown up in india i always felt that i can understand india and indians much better 
than you know i always felt as an outsider in the us and i couldn't really understand the psyche or a mindset of a customer there you know like i would understand indians right i understand indians in us were born in india and of course indians in india you know so that's technically that is my target market in investec as well i'm also targeting global indians uh, so i think understanding customer mindset is very important unless i was trying to do something super like facebook or something that's global uh, you know which would have needed a us uh, for me to be in us you know be in silicon valley etc uh you know for me to do something i also i'm a very big fan of paul graham etc you know y combinator founder i think quite often he says you know a lot of principles you go somewhere else and implement you know don't like right. be there where everybody is doing stuff you know maybe some other field some other place uh, so i also felt that i've learned so much from my life in us in new york etc that you know coming back to india with a different perspective and also you know the saving of us what happens is right gives you a much longer runway in india you know as an entrepreneur right because that's mm-hmm. very important right. uh, you know that you need to be able to survive through uh, failures you know you should have enough money to pull through i don't think in us i had that you know that us saving to india actually makes a difference right us saving to us i didn't feel i had that and and there are plenty other reasons but i think um, india was also is a land of opportunity right if you look at the demographics etc so i think there were various reasons and uh, other you know that you know multiple reasons but i think i'm really happy that i took the call wow excellent so in a nutshell what uh, you are saying shesh is uh, uh india is a land of opportunity you guess that correctly and the passion which was burning inside you to be an entrepreneur start your own thing uh, helped you uh, somehow to direct yourself back to the country and of course uh, the connection with uh, indians fellow indians as well as the global indian community is what uh, helped you connect all the dots together and put you back to the mm-hmm. it hub of the country yes, yes. that's excellent wonderful uh, ananta you have been uh, among around 7 years in this uh, profession uh, you are uh, tax guy you help people with their numbers and everything uh, so basically maths is what you are taking care of for everybody and almost half of the people in india would always run away and shy away from doing their own maths i mean uh, even if we asked uh, for a normal uh, shopkeeper to do their own maths they will have a calculator in front of them what was your why what called you or what was the calling uh, which asked you to step into this zone Uh, and help out SMEs do their finances, and why only SMEs? So basically, just to answer your first bit of it, why did I choose maths and not science? I was very poor at science, so when even the exams came up, I just shied away from even studying science because I knew it for a fact that I not have a career in science. So that was very short of my end. That's when maths had my inclination, and I pursued the career in maths and numbers. It's fun to play around numbers when you know that you know. the end result might not be the same as putting two numbers so that's what gave me the thrill at the very first point of time and then once you know uh, we you know cross career path with a lot of individuals we met a lot of founders that's where i understood that all the bigger companies have established players playing along with them so they know what to do but the founders that's when they feel that you know let me look at the business first and when does the finances come at a later point of time let me break my head at that point of time But the ship would have already sailed by then, and would have already ended up in a huge mess. So to ensure that the very first hire of any organization should be fired, uh, the finance person. That's when we decided that you know those people will not be able to hire a full-time finance guy. Let us be their finance guy, helping them from entry and right from incorporation to whatever they need, right up to Series B. After Series B, the company will certainly have their own entire finance team handling the operations. Right. That's when we thought, let's always work with SMEs to help them out. Mm-hmm. wow so with the passion of helping out people in their numbers and taking care of their numbers you started uh, your way in helping out smes that's great and i'm sure all of your clients must be happy because you are the one who's always available for them around the clock uh, helping them take care of the numbers excellent ananta on that uh, dr pawan when we talk about careers uh, in our country you often end up with two choices that's either engineering or a science which or or a medical profession i honestly happened to choose the engineering because i did not understand all the lang- all the terminologies of biology 
uh, and how that works. So I kind of moved to uh, engineering and uh, as Ananda mentioned, I also had love for science and maths. But now here you are uh, talking about design thinking. How easy it is for an Indian parent to understand the value of design thinking and innovation? And do you face any challenges or do you foresee any challenges which might come in the future when we talk about uh, modifying our curriculum a bit? So the first thing is that Indian parents don't have to understand design thinking. They have to understand thinking. That's more wow. important. We are not thinking enough has been my uh, contention all this while. Second aspect is uh, instead of blaming the education system the way it is, which has become quite fashionable, think about this moment, not only the pandemic, think about that, that where is a child actually spending most of her time? Is it at the school or is it with the parents? Of course, with the, parents. with the parents, isn't it? Right. Even when the schools are on, the child is spending most of the time with her parents. And hence, instead of blaming the education system or the schools of not making the child creative, the onus lies on the parents. It's not the church job to make the child creative. It's a parent's job to make the child creative. And that's been the thrust all through. Now, when I talk about Indian organizations, this was also part of my PhD research, how Indian firms build innovation culture. There is no dearth of creativity in our country. Indians are extremely creative, right? From ISRO all the way to the, uh, the Jugard that often is seen in rural parts of India, there is no dearth of creativity. Whereas where we lack extensively is in discipline. And if we can combine creativity with discipline, and that's something that Germans and Japanese really excel at, then we become unstoppable. So design thinking is nothing but a very disciplined, systematic, human-centric way of problem solving. And I don't advocate that parents have to understand design thinking. What parents need to understand is that thinking has to be far more methodical and far more systematic than what we have been used to. We somehow think that people go through the emotions and they think. And think about this for a moment, all of you, that when was the last time you had a subject in your school or college that taught you how to think? We never had any such subject, isn't it? Never. Thinking? Yeah. There was no course on thinking. There was no subject on thinking. We somehow thought that by solving problems, we'll become better thinkers, but that doesn't happen all the time. And hence my advocacy, my thrust and bit of my writing also has been on the fact that how can people become slightly more systematic thinkers? And if you can start thinking clearly from an early stage, I guess all of us will stand to benefit. That's excellent. I mean, so in a nutshell, uh, what we, uh, we should be doing is uh, being more disciplined, being more systematic, and uh, being, being more rational as well when it comes to our thinking, uh, because uh, almost all of them for last one year, of course, all the students, all the children are spending time with the parents. So all of us need to be much more disciplined when it comes to thinking and uh, look at things from this different perspective altogether. That's, thank you so much Pawan for sharing that. So that brings me to the next question to Shesh. To Shesh, now, just because Pawan touched the topic of the thinking and the parents and everything, I just wanted to ask you, what were your parents thinking when you said then that I'm going to come back to India, start a co-working space, uh, which is, again, first of its own kind in India, uh, in Bangalore at least. How did they take, take, uh, take it? And did they take it as a hurdle or challenge or were they all supportive? Yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, so the reactions were very interesting. Uh, one is, uh, see, definitely uh, starting a co-working space was not really on my mind when I came back to India. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, my last phase of US, I was a CTO for a startup in New York City. And, um, you know, I was coming back to set up the development center, you know, it was kind of falling in line with my long-term plan of coming back to India. So uh, I had in between taken a job before becoming a founder, I kind of took a CXO level position to kind of really feel the startup thing. And, you know, and uh, I came back to India to set up the development center. So co-working just became a very incidental. After that, I was looking to start a data science company. I was in data. I actually have a tech background. I was in data acquisition team of Bloomberg. So I used to work okay. in Wall Street more on the tech side and also real estate was really, uh, you know, my, you know, was kind of, uh, 
not the best thing from everybody's point of view you know even though what i do is uh, and has a lot more things than just real estate for uh, what people understand um, you know so uh, when i wanted to come back i think definitely um, people they were pretty shocked you know my mom uh, was like why are you coming back you know because she was to visit us and uh, uh, she with great difficulty had got uh, you know she was a government employee and and uh, it was very hard for her to get clearances there were a lot of people are sabotaging all the time to prevent right. her from getting uh, clearance uh, you know you know that happens in the government you know so so with great difficulty she had finally with three years effort she got and she was so happy that she is a lecturer she had given a party to the all the lecturers that she got the you know us visa and everything and then i moved back you know she was like wow you know you know why are you coming back you know i need to visit uh, so and then i think uh, you know my father is generally very open uh, he's always been very open and supportive uh, for us to do whatever you know when i was a child kid you know i think i never saw any other parents talking about freedom uh, self dependency like and i never used to see i grew up in a small town my so my father was somehow i think very different and used to always say um, you know people should choose their path you know you should be independent you know none of my friends parents used to say that you know so that way my father was very different uh and uh, i think so he has always been supportive um and but i think in general i think getting into business is not something that coming from a family background that i am it was really not supported uh, or when i say supported see luckily for me i didn't have to borrow money or take anybody's you know i already had enough my own saving so nowhere had to go for permission as such but nobody would have um really thought this is a great idea you know in that sense you know leaving uh, us big job and uh, stuff like that um but i think uh, that was about it and uh, since i you know i think i also grew up because of my father in a way where i don't really ask anybody unless you know and i have been independent in that sense it was my own money so never i had to see i used to just update people what i am doing and everybody used to be curious and you know and i'm also generally a workaholic so i don't even try to realize what people are thinking i just keep doing what i want you know so i think uh, you know and i think in a while once uh maybe some kind of recognition or media or something like that you know when they happen they feel okay is doing something interesting you know so otherwise of course it's hard for them to engage great yeah. <laughs> right uh, so so that that was about it you know i hope that answers wow excellent yes yes of course i mean so yeah that was uh, always been supportive uh, your dad has always uh, been that guy who said okay do whatever you want uh, just always bring laurels to the family and i'm sure you you uh make them proud but again uh, shesh no, not um, not many of the startup founders or the entrepreneurs would uh, would have that much of backing uh, when it comes to capital uh, and uh, of course they would always have that thirst the passion to pursue their dreams but uh, again one of the most important uh, hurdle which everybody faces uh, is uh, how to raise money where to look for money Uh, so i guess that time they would come to ananta to ask about hey ananta what should i do i have very fantastic idea but i do not have a money how can you help me to take care of those uh, is it okay to raise money is it okay to ask for a loan from a bank to start my company how, how do you go about it ananta so basically uh, just to give you an example uh, zerota is the biggest inspiration one can draw and say that you don't always need to raise funds to be successful Uh, the recent interview also would have noticed that he said that I have people right willing to write a check for me even today, but I don't want money. So that that's the whole idea which the founder needs to have. Whether he wants to raise funds, be successful. Whether he doesn't want to raise funds, be successful. It's it's their point and their ideology which they have to follow. There is no right or wrong in it. Whether you can take an e-mudra loan, whether you can raise funds from the biggest VCs, the smallest angel investors. There's no right or wrong. It's all about your approach. What do you want to do? Whether you want to be the uh, founder of the company holding ninety percent shares, or whether you want to be the biggest founder of the company holding eight percent, ten percent of the shares. So it's your ideology which is always uh, detrimental. Whether you want to raise funds, borrow funds, use your own money, like what Shay said. So there is no right or wrong way to it. There is no right or wrong way to put saying that you know my idea is worth five million pre-valuation. 10 million pre-valuation. But valuations are not determined on piece of paper. It's always determined in the boardroom, according to me. So how good you are at the boardroom determines the company's <laughs> okay. valuation. I think so. Shesh will completely agree to you on this. 
I mean, so associates. What what Ananta is saying is valuations are always determined in the boardroom or basically in a closed room. Yeah, I mean, I think valuation is uh, at least in initials. I mean, it has always been uh, ability to raise capital, right? It works reverse quite right. often. Uh, you know, if you are able to raise hundred million, you can't have a pre-money valuation of ten million, right? So, uh, I think it function of both, and I think I've learned that it is a it's an art and also certain experience kind of now that i have the experience i can tell people hey, what valuation they should have you know it's basically based on multiple factors right like what is the money they they need what is it that they may be able to raise at this stage what is it that they can really price it and what is the dilution they need to achieve um, you know and ultimately dcf has to kind of also kind of justify right discounted cash flow so i think multiple factors are there of course yeah. So when the topic of valuation comes, a lot of people also men, uh, believe very strongly, saying that uh, if a VC is coming on board or if a, if a, uh, so basically if somebody is coming on board with a huge check, then people end up diluting their uh, shares. Uh, most often, the founders keep on diluting their shares to raise the valuation. Should they be doing that? Yeah. Just to have some names on board, should the founders be diluting their own shares? Okay, is this for me the question? Yeah, I mean it can go for both of you, Ananta and Shesh. One after another, yeah. you can answer if you want. Yeah. Uh, okay, Ananta, you would want to go first. Uh, so basically, it's, it's detrimental on the factor of how soon do you want to grow or how later you want to grow. Sometimes the uh, the name itself is going to give you that entire boost. So that you you reach where you want to reach at 10x speed versus what you do. So it's a, it's a choice again whether you want to raise funds from a biggest VC so that you have a the cover page article on your story or anything versus whether you want to do it at the angel investors to ensure that you've raised funds but nobody even knows that you've raised funds. So it's a path that the founder has to right. think what they want to do. That's what my opinion on this is. Okay. And. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, and uh, see, my view, uh, you know, I would say more based on experience of what I'm seeing people doing and what I have done. Um, you know, so when I say seeing means people, most likely the audiences, a lot of people in India, founders, etc., or would be founders. Uh, you know, so either you're optimizing, see, if you're raising money, you're optimizing for growth. Uh, you know, if you are kind of going more conservative, you're optimizing to keep more stake for yourself. Uh, and more control control for yourself, right? Where do you want to optimize? I have, you know, I think Zeroda is one example where, you know, they didn't have to really, they kept control and that's amazing. You know, they have more stake. And I think if you look at the list, they are the wealthiest among everybody, you know, more wealthy than yeah. you know, Jay Shekhar Sharma, et cetera, personally speaking. Uh, but I would say that is a rather an exception. I would uh, suggest people not to aim for it. I have seen people fail more by raising less than you know by raising more honestly you know mm -hmm. uh, you know in my view uh, you know it is okay to dilute because i think the current reality of the market is that there is a lot of capital in the market right say compared to say 90s or you know uh, etc the so the philosophy of building a company has changed now what happens is that since the the you know the resources are different right now you will definitely have competitors with a lot of capital now, in 90s, you would have had competitors who are like you. Hey, they also didn't have capital, right? Now that you have, you know, now you need to realize, right? So if you can't go with, a, you know, you know, with a handgun if the other guy is coming up with a bigger guns, right? Um, so one, it's important to understand that, you know, competitors will raise money. Capital is plenty. So one has to raise capital and also fail fast, right? A lot of people trying to bootstrap. Bootstrapping, typically, I would never recommend i've seen a lot of people spend a year or two trying to just bootstrap mm -hmm. and waste their time you know and then they realize they're not going anywhere you know you'd rather you know what i would advise people is hey you know what just go all out in fact i tell people you know you, you should be like two or three co-founders one of them is only raising money you know so raise money now you know let's say you raise money you did something and you're successful next company you want to raise less put your own money etc it's a different story if you have enough capital right even zero that by the way the example is that you know i was speaking with nithin he basically made a lot of money in 2008 crash he he so he had capital right now how many really had capital he technically he he had money that he used you know, he, he didn't borrow is a different matter, but he had money, right? At the end of the day, 
who how many have that money to like you know do you have money to put one crore into your business and get going is the question many people know they'll put 5 lakhs 10 lakhs and they're trying to do something they will spend one year two year and you know for me that's you know you're really like you know very likely not going to click if you do that you know you'd rather raise something and give a fair chance to your business that that's my view that's interesting thank you so much for that uh, in a nutshell uh, shesh you're saying that uh, put all your money uh, i mean uh, one of the founders should be continuously raising money so once you have enough capital you basically can experiment a lot you can fail fast to grow fast uh, that's again interesting take away uh, what i can see uh, from your side uh, shesh thank you so much with this fail fast and grow fast thinking i would like to move towards pawan and ask about very simple question uh we often say that a uh, lot of uh, companies uh, who whoever is raising money is raising because of innovation and innovation is the driving force in most of the tech startups right now how does design thinking play a critical role when the innovations or the product uh, or the mvps are failing in the market Yeah, so I think uh, let me take this question with some data. Okay, and I have was okay. as uh, looking at a presentation. So mm-hmm. let me share my screen. Okay. So we'll talk about intellectual property. I thought useful to do justice to the day and talk about intellectual property as well. So on your screen, you see this is the ranking of the world's most innovative companies. this has been produced by bcg boston consulting group since yeah. uh, 2004 they have been coming up with this ranking of the world's most innovative companies now how do they come up with this ranking so they survey close to 1500 c suite executives they look at their five year performance in terms of returns on capital returns on uh, equity net uh, scores in terms of profitable growth etc and then they also weigh in terms of the most innovative companies in the peer group uh, what stands out in this list is number one there is not even a single indian company in the world's most 50 most innovative organizations number right. two there are a lot of old companies every column has a company which is more than a century old mm-hmm. this is interesting we often associate innovation with startup world startup community or the companies which are tech intensive like google facebook etc but if you look at every single column in column 1 you have an ibm which is more than 110 year old company column 2 have dupont and siemens which is collectively each 150 year old company philips yeah. is 150 year old company you have a marriott also which is a hotel mcdonalds unilever then you have uh, 3m which is a reasonably old company 100 year old plus and rio tinto is a mining company which means that innovation is nothing to do with startups so we need to really take this myth out that because we are a startup organization we have the sort of uh, right to be innovative and the large enterprises are not which is not true the second view is r&d spending this is the world's 20 most heavily r&d spenders in the world right at the top is amazon amazon spends 22.6 billion dollars per year on r&d alone so in 2012 they spent 6% of their annual revenues on r&d which is what we call as r&d intensity which went doubled in the next 6 years is at 12.7% which is to say amazon spent more on r&d than the large commerce company in the world look at the packing order of amazon alphabet volkswagen siemens etc and if you really go through this list a bit on detail you would realize only two types of companies are there in the list or say three pharma auto and tech, tech. the only exception if you may uh, of course auto is you have uh, honda daimler general motors etc toyota but the company which is the least r&d intensity is if you look at the last but one column we call this is r&d intensity and the company which is the least r&d intensity which is the r&d as a percentage of your revenues is a company by the name which is the company here which is the least r&d intensity look at the 2018 column of r&d intensity that's let me just highlight that column for all of you daimler which is the company which is the least r&d intensity Daimler, no. least R&D intensity. Six. Three point six. Yeah, that's a Daimler. Yeah. Least R&D intensity. And the highest R&D intensity is Intel, at twenty percent. Now, 
if I ask people to identify the most important products which have come from Amazon, they would really struggle to go beyond an Alexa or a Kindle or a Fire TV Stick or Amazon.com, which means Amazon spends a lot of R&D in supply chain management, customer relationship management, logistics. That means that innovation doesn't have to be about products, about things that the end customer tends to see. The third is patents. These are the world's largest patent granted companies. Granted, okay, not filed as of US Patent and Trademark Office. That's something which is close to the day's calling. Right at the top is IBM, which has been the number one in terms of patent granted for the last 25 years, 27 years, actually, 92, they started the whole thing. At 9,000 patents, IBM has more number of patents granted than India as a country. Okay, and I thought I'll put this in perspective today. India as a country do not have 9,000 patents filed, let alone granted in a given year. And IBM, on the other hand, gets so many. The more interesting thing is to put these three things in perspective. Companies, companies which are the highest IP spending, the companies which have the highest patents. Now, and this is something which uh, bursts a few myths. Absolutely. What matters, what, what would really matter is if the patents translate into innovation. If R&D translates into patents and patents translates into innovation. But if you really go through this list very carefully, and I would advise you to, is which names are common? And you would really struggle to find the common names. As a matter of fact, only five names are common. There are only five companies in the world that do a very high R&D intensity, very high spending on R&D, goes on to file patents, get the patent granted, and also goes on to commercialize the patents. So my parting message to all of you, and since I'm no expert on startup funding, and that's why I kept quiet, because that's not an area of expertise for me at all. I never uh, uh, raised funds. I never sold anything, which I don't intend to also. But the intent is you need to commercialize your ideas. A tremendous amount of focus in the startup community goes into getting ideas, filing patents, protecting your patents. As a matter of fact, in the year 2010, Apple had spent more money on lawyers than on scientists, which is very surprising. Apple and Google, both of these companies had more money spent on lawyers to fight for what they filed than to actually file it in the first place. So the real currency is not patents. The currency is not so much intellectual property. You need to have intellectual property. I don't deny that. But the real currency is your ability to put intellectual property into the market and get the customer to pay for it. And that's why design thing comes into picture. Design thinking, instead of starting with what unique idea you have, instead of starting with what technology you have, design thinking goes backwards. It starts with who's the customer and what's the unique need the customer has. And then you trace back that do you really require that kind of a technology or all you need to do is to copy. And many a times uh, I strongly advocate startups that instead of trying to innovate, start by copying. Mm -hmm. Far higher probability of success will come to you to start copying. And if need be, innovate. I think somehow we have been dismissive of the word copy, imitation. But if you look at countries after countries, I'm not even talking of companies, countries after countries have really established themselves strongly by the virtue of imitation. So that's where design thinking plays a role so much, not in invention or intellectual property, but in sweating that intellectual property so that you get money. And that's what 3M does very beautifully. The way 3M defines innovation is as follows. 3 says, Research is about converting money into knowledge. Research is about converting money into knowledge. And innovation is about converting knowledge into money. So a good company has to have this virtuous loop where they are feeding money to get knowledge, but at the same time, more importantly, ensuring that whatever they know, instead of protecting what they know, they start sweating it out. So that's my view. Awesome. I mean, that's the only word I could figure out right now, Dr. Pawan. Thank you so much for so beautifully touching the topic uh, for the day as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, all of us know that how much of uh, R&D expenditure do we get in our budget, uh, in our annual budget every year? It's hardly around 3%. And that is also one of the reasons why India has not been so much active in uh, safeguarding their research, uh, basically taking out research-based knowledges out into the market by filing product, uh, by filing patents and making product out of it. But one, one thing, uh, again, uh, I would like to touch upon here with the stats is for the last three years, India have been 
consistently filings around 50000 patent applications I and mean, 50000 applications are getting filed in in india unfortunately 80% out of those 50000 50, are coming from global players it's not indians who are filing those patents only 20% of the patents that is around 10000 patent applications are getting filed every year for from 2016 in india which also puts us puts us into the spot because if we are relying on 80% of the technologies which are getting filed and protected in india that means ultimately we are ending up paying royalties to those companies who have patents in india indians own only 20% of the patents which are granted in india that's why uh, when we talk about commercializing any product we end up paying royalties to different different players who have the patent applications in the particular jurisdiction uh, again uh, uh, dr pawan you also touched upon the fact of imitating or copying instead of uh, starting uh, the innovation right away that's again very sound uh, uh, point and and a very great guiding because uh, we as an uh, ip lawyer also suggest to all most of our uh, startup clients that uh, filing and protecting a startup would of course take you uh, take you some time but uh, in the time in that meantime what you can do is look at uh, similar product being manufactured being implemented successfully driven and also taking uh, i mean making revenue adopt that idea start building upon that and because the patents uh, are geographical in nature that means if the company has filed patent only in us and they fail to file a patent in india you are free to use the same technology in india nobody can stop you so we identify all of such patents which have been filed in uh, across the country but have not been filed in india and give those patent applications from the spe uh, specific technology to all of our startups and sme groups to to help them work on that for free once you have those invent uh, patented technology in front of you you know how well it is being functioning in the market you can replicate that you can tweak the business models change certain things to suit your demographics to suit your target audience in the country and you can fly off from there so all we need to do is identify the right technologies then look at the players from whom we can adopt or from whom we can imitate certain things and then move forward with our own innovation needless to say if we do not file patent applications to protect our changes we will always be ending up paying a dollar away as a royalty to some other outsider this is what is been happening in india and why i mean see uh, again uh, dr pawan also mentioned uh, that apple spent most of the amount in 2010 fighting litigations fighting patent litigation lawyers just to safeguard their inventions right so filing patents and everything is also cost intensive process but what it brings to the table is it it stops all the competition from a particular uh, i think uh, prayank is uh... as network issue right so but uh, yeah so meanwhile yeah dr pawan i think it was a great news for uh, prayank and photon legal that there are companies that spend more with lawyers than with researchers <laughs> hey uh, prayank i think uh, yeah we missed you all right i am back i don't know i don't know what you missed okay i thought you guys had fun when i was out yeah yeah we we were thinking about how you made money <laughs> okay all right uh, so okay coming back to the point uh, i don't know what was the last point i said but in a nutshell in a nutshell what we want to uh, highlight here is uh, filing patent is important uh, for startups and smes is because once they file a patent application they can stop the competitor enter into the same space the same jurisdiction right and the patents can also help you in valuations 
Uh, Ananta, would you like to touch upon the topics on how a patent can help a company to raise valuation? Uh, most certainly, because patent is technology which you own. And uh, how do you define a valuation? Valuation is either defined on the basis of the idea that you have or the patent and the technology that you own. So when you own a patent and technology, it's a proven product where it helps you to increase the valuation from X to 5X or much more in that market. So it's always detrimental to have a patent to ensure that you, know, you, you safeguard your valuation to an extent where nobody can touch you and say, you know what, I'm going to buy you out the text price, I'm going to buy you out the pipe price. You determine what price you want to be bought at, or what price you want to raise the funds at, like Shane always said. So having patent, having uh, technology by your side, having granted patents is always the benefits of raising more funds at a better valuation. So that's how it, it adds on to a like DCF only calibration suits your cash flows, but patent also ensures that you have a good backing for your DCF at the end of the day. You say that, okay, this is a proven product. This is my market. I know how much revenue I can make over a period of five years, seven years, and then you get a decent amount of valuation to ensure that you dilute less a base more, which a founder would absolutely love to do. Basically, you say that more, more the number of patents we have, more anchors we can put around the technology, which will, of course, help the company to raise money. Excellent point uh, here again. Uh, thanks, Ananta. Uh, all right, so we, we have a, a doc, doctor has a, a hard stop at five. Uh, I would also ask, let, let's our attendees ask certain questions. I believe there are a couple of them. Somebody raised hand as well. So guys, if you have any questions, uh, to all the participants, please use Q&A forum uh, and you can ask the questions there. Uh, we will be happy to answer all of the questions as well there. Uh, now, this is the point uh, where I would like to open the floor for all of you. I know uh, when I was out, uh, you guys must be asking uh, or talking about certain points. So why not uh, have, let, let's have that uh, forum live in front of me as well. So Shesh, over to you. If you want to ask any question to Ananta or Dr. Pawan. Um, I think uh, since uh, uh, I think there are only four or five minutes, right? So if I ask a question, uh, I, maybe I'll just make, uh, I think uh, one is, I think definitely would love to catch up, uh, I think Dr. Pavan, um, you know, in terms of how uh, design thinking wise and how IP wise, et cetera, you know, uh, you are guiding companies, you know, that'd be great to, and I would have asked it as a question. I don't know, um, you know, if there is time in terms of, or maybe I think, who are the top companies? If you have question, we can see. Uh, yeah, I think maybe a quick question would be, you know, who are the example of uh, companies whom you'd guide on design thinking and innovation? Who are the right uh, target customers for you? Sorry, sure. So uh, I recently finished one before we started the session at 3.30, I finished one session with Flipkart. And there we are talking about Flipkart Mintra merger. So as you know, Flipkart recently acquired Mintra and the two supply chains are very, very distinct. The product lines are very distinct and, uh, and Walmart acquired Flipkart. So now this is a very cascading effect. So when Walmart acquires Flipkart at 80% stake, they bring their own systems and processes and Walmart is the largest company on earth, which is very well managed. Now a company which is used to getting $600 billion of revenue per year, they want predictability. And the startup industry in India and e-commerce in particular hasn't been known for their productivity. They have not been known for running four years, five years kind of a horizon time frame. Now, where we bring design thinking onto the picture is not so much in terms of customer centricity, but in terms of assimilation of supply chains. Similarly, so one of the big myths that we have around design thinking is that design thinking is only about customers. And I want to really challenge the myth that design thinking is not about the customer, it is about the human being. The human being can be the delivery person. The human being can be the seller, the buyer, the employee, etc. Second example, last week I was doing a program with Bosch. Now Bosch is an automobile company. So one of the big myths that people have about design thinking is that design thinking is only for B2C companies and not B2B companies. Because the examples that we often have is Apple, Google, Ikea, IDEO, Nike, etc. But in Bosch, one of the and Bosch is the largest auto ancillary company in the world. And one of the things that they did is how do we make our entire supply chain carbon neutral? Now, making your company carbon neutral is easy. 
but making an entire supply chain carbon neutral is extremely difficult because finally there is a truck which is carrying your part and the truck emits diesel now how do you offset the diesel that the truck emits so we use design thinking about those kind of complex problems also so in nutshell if i may offer to all of you uh, three things about design thinking if you want to really embrace design thinking and incidentally shesh a part of my book i wrote when i was sitting at beehive kormangla so beehive has a very important role to play in my book writing because my first co-working space which i joined was actually beehive and i loved that place the one in kormangla which now you have moved out of was a big uh, villa converted yeah, into yeah. a co-working space and i loved that place frankly so thank you for your support um so three things which i can offer to all of you about design thinking is the first is that if you really want to practice design thinking you might want to put a human being at the center of the affair and redefine the customer so for ananta a customer would be a founder or the founding team so the broad definition of customer which i always advocate is that customer is not the one who pays money to you but the customer is one whose problem you wish to solve that's the customer anybody who's who problem you wish to solve is your customer that's a first important understanding of design thinking the second thing that design thinking really coaches and advocates extensively is the whole aspect of rapid iteration and that's what again the lean philosophy and agile also focuses on but rapid yeah. iteration really takes a lot of courage uh change challenging what you have done and moving on to a newer edition is not trivial because people are quite comfortable at least in this part of the world india people are quite comfortable with shipping things and get on to the next thing second aspect and the third core aspect about design thinking is visual thinking visualization and that's where we advocate that if you really want to be a good problem solver or a design thinker learn to think with your hands don't think with your head don't think with your mouth think with your hands and if you start thinking with your hands and i would really want to invoke the soul of thomas alva edison because on this day what we need to remember is that the one man who has had the uh sort of fortune of having the highest number of patents listed against his name right. is thomas alva edison at 2228 patents at 2228 patents thomas alva edison was filing a patent every week on his living life that's the kind of intensity he had and one of the philosophies that thomas alva edison had was thinking with his hands so right, quickly summarizing the customer is the one whose problem you wish to solve the second aspect is having rapid iteration and the third aspect is really thinking with your hands and that's how you can really advocate design thinking and we've been doing a lot of programs with a lot of organizations to be able to really do so i hope that answers your question shesh yeah yeah i, I think that was pretty cool and uh, i think uh, it gives i think very good overview of what's happening i think behind the scene like flipkart supply chain i think like you rightly said b2c what is consumer facing is what most of us can understand where innovation is happening uh i think that's why i think the examples exist because it's easy for people to understand but i think behind the scene lot of things are happening and it's great to know that the how how much evolved indian ecosystem has become right in the last say 10 years or so uh you know and 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 i think because of flipkart and the kind of innovation in the back end that's why i think um, so many other companies you know ex flipkart guys are able to start and and do certain things uh i think these kind of innovations are super important and i think it throws some light on it and uh, definitely i think uh, you know uh, sometime a larger session you know uh, would learn love to learn more